Everything is great. Marty! You've got to come back with me! Where? Back to the future! This is the Snug Podcast. In this episode... Back to the Future. Professor Crooks. And the DHI. What we have to do is to understand that our health and well-being is down to us as individuals. And we have to look at better ways of empowering individuals to take more responsibility. The world is changing. We need to recognise that. It's not rocket science, any of this. It's common sense. Hello there, welcome to another Snug podcast. Snug is the Scottish National Users Group for GPIT, and we look for ways in which information technology and our information systems can help us deliver better healthcare within Scotland's general practices. I'm Andrew McElhinney, and I'm a GP in NHS Fort Valley. Now, here are some questions to ponder today. Have you ever wondered, why does it take so long to make the digital changes that we know would make life better for ourselves and our patients? What does person-centred data sharing look like? How good is the data that we use to make decisions for our patients and their families every day? How complete is it? And how much do we currently listen to our patients? and understand what their expectations are for the healthcare we provide. Today we're going to think about all those subjects in a really interesting and thought-provoking talk from Professor George Crooks, a man whose job it is to understand both what the barriers are to getting us towards that better future, but also in finding ways to get us there. He gave us a plenary at last month's Snug Members Day. You can find full details of that programme and the recorded videos of the plenaries and workshops. If you remember, you can go to the Snug website. I can thoroughly recommend looking at those if you're interested in GPIT. Professor Crooks was introduced by David Cooper. Superb, so a massive thank you and a massive welcome to Professor Crooks, who many people will know with his multiple hats on in the previous years of general practice, including GP up in Aberdeen and Director of Primary Care for Grampian, but now Chief Executive of the Digital Health and Care Innovation Centre. So I'm going to pass across to himself. Looking very much forward to this. Thanks very much. Great. Thanks. Thanks very much, David. I'm going to kind of share you a little bit of insight into my world, but I'm going to focus this really from general practice primary care, as it's really important that when we're looking at how we can apply innovation and next generation digital tools and services to what we're doing, we actually have to reset some of the dials that have been swaying both investment, time, effort, and conscious thought to other parts of the health and care system in Scotland. I'll just leave that sitting there before I something that's politically incorrect. I'm the Chief Executive of Scotland's National Innovation Centre for Digital Health and Care. As, as David gave you an introduction, I'm a family doctor by background, and then became a, a Director of Primary Care in NHS Grant and Medical Director of NHS 24 and ended up here. But really, I've got a firm commitment to making next generation digital tools and services work for those 
who really need it most, and that is our citizens, our patients, uh, and also those of us who are tasked with delivering clinical services on a day-to-day basis. So what are some of the legacies that are important? Well, the pandemic basically transformed how we lived our day-to-day lives, and we used digital technologies in ways that not even I imagined uh, was going to happen uh, with the speed and pace that it happened. Who would have thought a couple of years ago that we would have been celebrating birthdays, anniversaries, special occasions with families, friends using technologies such as this? Who would have thought that some of us could order Michelin-starred food from restaurants in London delivered to your door for that special occasion? The world has changed exponentially. Connectivity has continued to increase. Familiarity uh, with technologies has improved. Some of the technology platforms have become much more powerful and much more user-friendly through the last couple of years. And we can turn that to our advantage. But we've also learned something else. Simply telling people what to do, or even legislating to get people to behave in a certain way, only takes you so far. What we have to do is to understand that our health and well-being is down to us as individuals. And we have to look at better ways of empowering individuals to take more responsibility, uh, not simply for making better health and well-being choices, but also delivering more of their health care themselves. When you're on that hamster wheel and you get up on the Monday morning and you hit the ground running, when somebody like me comes along and says, guys, I've got a good innovation I'd like you to consider. We don't have time to do a lot of thinking, a lot of hard work, a lot of shaping, a lot of developing. So how are we going to transform services while we're still trying to address the ever-present needs of our patients on a day-to-day basis? And that's really what I want to tease out with you today. So our focus really should be about shifting that balance of care. Uh, We invest a lot of time and effort on treatment and post-event care. We really need to move to focus more on prevention, anticipation, early detection. Yes, we'll have to to, to focus on treatment and post-event care, but also we need to promote independent living. So every time I mention shifting the balance of care as we move forward or integrating services, I am seeing that balance continue to move from secondary care to primary care and general practice, but further down into other community health and care organisations, but even further down still into the hands of patients and citizens themselves and the communities in which they live. And I believe that's where digital can become quite an enabler and unlock some of the challenges that we have today. And at the same time, uh, what my organisation is trying to do is by getting these things to be designed, built and deployed in Scotland, we can create wealth to reinvest in the health and care system. Money that's coming from budgets outside health to support us to deliver what we need to deliver now and as we move forward. So I think the focus going into the future needs to be integrating services, not for financial savings, not just to drive efficiency, but really to secure sustainability. And yes, it's all motherhood and apple pie because let's acknowledge that that is the future. Within health service budgeting and spend, there's us and them. And I'm not going to suggest to you which lane primary care is in, 
or if I use this in a different audience, uh, where social care provision is versus health care provision. These inequities and inequalities need to be called out and need to be shifted. And the one way we can do that is not by focusing on the big ticket challenges that we've got day to day within uh, health service delivery and the way our system's configured. But the low hanging fruit is our future investment. So the emerging strategy for data in health and care and how investment can be leveraged in a way that actually supports this agenda, which is about empowering citizens to do more for themselves, deliver more of the care themselves, put the tools and enablers uh, into general practice and primary care to actually support and empower communities um, to be um, more effective uh, in promoting health and well-being uh, and not simply continue to throw money uh, into the areas that we've done in the past. So that's what DHI is focusing on. We're looking at how can we design for digital at scale. Most of our work now is spent on service model innovation. What are the service models that you are wanting to utilise to improve clinical quality, safety and the health and well-being of your patients, but equally the health and well-being of the staff being tasked to deliver those services. The way we design digital technologies going forward should be to enable you to deliver clinical care in the way you believe is fitting for your surroundings and your patient demographics and groupings. And then sitting in behind that is the business model innovation. What are the, the business models that allow us to adopt and scale from one practice to a whole health and social care partnership, to a health board area, uh, to the whole of Scotland and even beyond? And that doesn't happen by accident. That needs planning, thought, foresight. We need to balance the needs of the user um, with the needs of the system and get that pendulum reset properly. And going back to my, my main drumbeat about empowering citizens, we need to design our future services to be activated by citizens in a way that puts the citizen more in control of what they do, but actually not so that the system is at their beck and call. This is about true partnership. And to underpin all that, we need a number of technical principles. We need to create data only once and use it many times. We need to really be bold about what is the underlying ICT architecture we're going to use in Scotland. What are the data standards we're going to use? And once and for all, get off that fence and stop fudging. And we need to stop just using the words about citizens using their own data. We need to basically say, Citizens will own their own data in Scotland and actually recognise that we need a fully consent driven ICT architecture that puts the citizen in control of who they share their data with um, as we move forward. And then there's the business principle. We need to invest in open solutions that scale and evolve and not lock our data into individual suppliers or individual solutions. We need to stop talking about products and need to start talking about services. And as I said earlier, we need to serve the consumer, the patient and the providers of care, the clinical teams on the ground and the commissioners as equal partners in this. 
in my clinical life, 90% of what was called e-health or ICT investment was designed inexorably to serve the needs of the organisation. Those working in the organisations were passive beneficiaries uh, and the patients were even further down that pecking order. We need to reset that and invest more in technology that is put directly into the hands of the patients to allow them to curate their own data, to allow them to make better health and well-being choices themselves and equally in the hands of clinicians so that these tools and services are useful in day-to-day -day practice in as near to real time as possible. Have a healthy degree of scepticism when anybody tells you they've got a solution that is going to help you uh, deliver better informed uh, services for your patients because you know how you deliver your service. You need to challenge back about how can your technology fit in with the way we deliver services here and the aspirations of my patients. So for me, it's about person-centered data sharing and it's understanding how that is important. Today, in our practice in Scotland, we are making life and death decisions, not just on our patients, but on ourselves and our families, based on about 16% of the available data. Because as you guys know, the only data the NHS in Scotland trusts is the data it generates itself. And even then, um, secondary care doesn't trust the data that we generate in general practice a lot of the time. Hence the reason that investigations are repeated uh, in the afternoon that are carried out in the morning, even though a blood test may have been done in the same laboratory. We've got cultural legacy here. But the reason I'm showing that slide is to kind of challenge our thinking a little bit. Imagine if we could blend citizen-generated data with formal health and care data to better understand the lived experience of our citizens. We could probably make better health and care planning choices. We could recognise the different challenges between individual practices, between individual towns and cities and regions. We could also make better informed clinical decisions on a daily basis about our patients and about the effect our medical uh, interventions are having. The message here is no one professional grouping can do this on their own. No one organisation has all the answers. Uh, the NHS in Scotland doesn't have all the answers. Scottish Government certainly doesn't have all the answers. The UK doesn't have all the answers. We need to collaborate. And everybody thinks when I show them this slide, oh, this is the horse that's actually uh, rescued the little dog and is taking it to safety in a flooded river. But actually, it's not that at all. It's the little dog who is actually telling the horse where to go. And that, for me, is the key message here. We need to listen to our patients. We need to listen to the citizens of Scotland and understand what their expectations are of the health and care service. And we do know that in the digital and data world. They want to tell their story only once. They don't want to tell it over and over again. They want to activate services on their own terms, and they do want to do more themselves without having to conform to the way the formal service feels they need to conform to allow them to access 
services. But equally importantly, we need to listen to clinicians who are tasked with delivering services and make sure that any new innovation we bring to bear serves those two masters, the patients and the clinical teams, and then put governance round about that, but governance as an enabler, not governance as a blocker of innovation or a blocker of change, because that's been our history for far too long. It needs to stop. Thanks very much for listening. I hope some of that uh, will have chimed and rung some bells with you and uh, happy to take any questions, comments. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Crooks. Uh, a fascinating insight into where this uh, world of data may take us. Um, I, I suspect one of the biggest challenges for us is how we deal that whole with that whole issue of digital inequality and um, we're well aware that some of our patients are very digitally enabled um, whereas others are very much disadvantaged and I suspect that presents in in this future um, one of the biggest challenges for us in, in, in terms of leveling up the the opportunity for people to really take advantage of some of the things that you describe and I just wonder how you think we might do that well I'll be, I'll be fairly radical and challenging here, Neil, but there's two or three things we need to recognise. That the no one left behind agenda is actually very important, and we need to address that uh, on multiple levels. First of all, this thing about um, technology being very expensive, it doesn't need to be very expensive. Yes, if you want to give everybody an iPhone 13, but actually we don't need to do that. Um, you can buy a very powerful mobile phone for less than a month's prescription um, of a regularly used antidepressant that's prescribed in Scotland at this moment in time. We need to start to look at these technologies as potentially being, dare I suggest it, disposable. You can get a mobile phone for £25-30. It will actually do everything you need to do to do most of the transactions. So it doesn't need to be about the cost of the technology itself. We can we can we could address that if there was a will. But most importantly, uh, and I didn't maybe say it as specifically as I should, we need to stop designing people out of our services. We also need to make sure that there are new people going to join our delivery teams going forward. And we've got some examples in, in Scotland at the moment. These are care navigators. Care navigators are used, you know, and, and some of you will actually have some working within, within your practice or within your health and social care partnership. But we need these care navigators actually to help people navigate the use of digital technologies. We're going to be moving to electronic booking systems. Whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. We're working with Community Pharmacy Scotland and others, recognising that the days of uh, people going into the pharmacy on the high street to pick up your prescription isn't going to be the norm in five to seven to ten years time. They'll be delivered to your house by the Amazons, the DHLs, the FedExes of this world. Um, a lot of the drug companies are looking at direct to patient, cutting out all the middle uh, 
uh, warehousing for their medicine. So it will come from the factory straight to the patient. The world is changing. We need to recognise that. So we need to have care navigators who will work with the more disadvantaged in our society. And that's not necessarily the elderly uh, to help them and become digital proxies. So we also have to work out how the governance of that system will work. So the consent models and the trust models that would allow, you know, I've done it in my day, and my, both my parents are, are, are dead now. But, you know, before they died, I had power of attorney and was, was supporting them to live at home. We're going to have to have something similar for the digital world. And sometimes it will be family members, but other times it will have to be other advocates. We have to work through in our thinking now, while we're time, what that could and should look like. I don't know if that goes some way towards uh, answering your question. Uh, yes, I think it does. You you, you mentioned time uh, and, and do we have time? And I, I suspect one of the, the real challenges in a nationalised health service is, is the, the, the length of time it, it takes to innovate and make decisions and, and move things on. And as you quite rightly articulated earlier, you know, the, the pressures are here and now and the opportunities are somewhere down the line and in between. It, it feels like it's potentially a, a painful place to be. So how do we get through this somewhat bureaucratic decision making process and actually start to make change right now? I don't know is the answer to that. I mean, well, I've got the answer, but I can't see it happening. We need absolutely clear leadership. We need leadership at a political level. We need leadership at the top of the NHS that actually basically says, this is the way we're going. This is what we're going to do. And this is what needs to happen. And it needs to empower people who are delivering services to do what you know you need to do to make that difference. And we don't we don't do that because most people don't understand the, the world, particularly of technology and, and, and IT. In an NHS environment, when you don't understand something, you layer additional governance on top of it and you kid on your managing risk, but you're not managing risk at all. You're just slowing things down to the point that those who are advocating get so bloody frustrated that they give up. Uh, we cannot afford to give up because we can't carry on the way we're doing. It's not going to work. But, you know, history has, has taught us in the past that if we procrastinate long enough, somebody else will come over the horizon and help us out and sort it. That ain't going to happen anymore. The future is in our hands. We really need to get on and, and make some brave and bold decisions. I'm sorry, but it just has to happen this time. Bina, welcome today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And that was really fascinating. I'm going to pick up on a couple of the points you've made. So you said um, if we procrastinate long enough, somebody else will do it for us. So England, in a way, have already done it for us in the sense that They've got the NHS app, which gives not all their patients, but some of their patients using TP, TPP, EMIS, and I understand Vision are in discussion with them, the access to the, their records online. They can make appointments. I've got friends and family both sides of the border who are saying, why are we not doing this in Scotland? You're absolutely right. I think, uh, I think you're right. It's not often you can look south of Adrian's Wall and the ICT world and say, there's something that's quite reasonable. But what we really need to learn from, from England was, you know, NHSX changed its changed its tack about three years ago, where they, they were actually looking for the super app. One app will serve everything. 
And then they've now gone to a much more open architecture where, yes, you've got a, a, a common UX front door, but you've got enabling, you've got enabling distributed architecture that sits in behind that. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to trust in a cloud-based distributed architecture where we have the best of class products, which may be four or five. We need a ones for Scotland underlying ICT pipeline or railroad that you can plug things into. But you know, the tool that you might want to use may well be different to the tool I want to use just because we're different. That's all right. That's why general practice in Scotland was at the cutting edge in the world, because we recognised every practice had to look different. It had to schedule its day differently because the demographics and the aspirations of the, the registered patients were different. It's not rocket science, any of this. It's common sense. Thank you very much. It's been really interesting. Um, it does sound like person-centred data sharing sounds like a theme for the day so far. We were hearing earlier about how we might want to do that for long-term conditions data, and it does sound tricky to me when you talk about giving people a personal data store because all this information is in different places. Some of it might be in GP systems, some of it might be vaccination data sitting on Turas, and then we've got a respect system now on the NES digital service. How do we prioritise what information is going to be given to patients? Ask the patient what they want. That's what I would say to you. You look at Estonia. Um, Estonia, where where you know they've got a very positive track record. Do you know what the most common part of the me the medical records are fully available to them? It's ultrasound scanned pregnant women. Is that a surprise to any of us? No, of course it's not. Because if you're pregnant, you want to show your ultrasound scan picture to your mother, your sister, your brother, your family, your friends in the world, and it's anti. If you've got uh, renal failure, renal failure patients most accessed is their uh, blood result. So at different stages in your life, you want different access to different things. What we're not saying is stick all of that data and give it all to the patient and stick it into a big repository somewhere. That's not what we want to do. We want them to be able to access the pieces of information that are relevant to them at that stage in their life and give them the tools to curate it effectively. That, that for me, Andrew, is the answer. Ask the patients what they want and give them the tools to be able to access it and they'll pull the bits that they wish. Absolutely fascinating, uh, refreshing and, and uh, inspirational at the same time. Thank you all very much and thank you particularly, George, for spending some time. Uh, fascinating, as I said, and uh, we shall look forward to see how this uh, develops. Indeed we shall. And that was Neil Kelly rounding things off, as I'm sure you knew. So loads of things for us to think about. I wonder, where do you think general practice IT will be in five or 10 years time? But we can all aim now to listen to our patients better and to understand their expectations and start to give them the data and information to help them improve their own health. And then the new apps and digital tools will be complementary and build on to that process. You can find more information out about the work of the DHI and also Professor Crooks in the podcast notes. Any feedback, comments or questions are, as usual, very welcome. You can contact Snug via the website or directly by email to alex.defranco at phs.scot. Have a good summer. Speak to you soon.